Bridge over Baghdad has been illuminated. We're seeing bright flashes going off all over the Hello and welcome to another episode of Radio Contra, the podcast of AmericanPartisan.org and hosted by me, NC Scout. It is very, very good to be with you. And today I am joined by my friend and frequent guest on the show, uh, author over at the Organic Prepper, Daisy Luther's site, and a guy who is definitely um, very, very squared away extremely well-versed in all aspects of preparedness, is an author, and just an awesome guy. And, uh, yeah, somebody you're probably all familiar with, Mr. Aiden Tate. What's up, brother? Hey, man, what's up? <laughs> How you doing? <laughs> I'm doing all right, man. I'm doing all right. It, it's uh, getting a, a little bit of rain. It's going to be coming in. I know it's probably going to it's gonna hit y'all a little bit before it hits us. And um, just really working on the, the springtime planting garden while the wet, uh, weather is good. The winter is tapering off. And uh, really just enjoying the springtime, man. Yeah. You think we're still going to get like a, a frost coming up here soon? I know you say your dad always says by May 1st. Yeah. You know, I mean, for the the Blue Ridge region into the we'll say the western piedmont of virginia carolinas the upstate of south carolina it's not unheard of to have a frost in um all the way up to may 1st so you know i mean it, it's and we saw it i mean we we had a a really warm early march and then it turned off cold again very cold again um you know, and April can be kind of an up and down month for us, too. So we'll see, man. We'll see. You know, one of the things I've been surprised with gardening in particular is I haven't seen a seed shortage as I was anticipating. I was thinking for sure it'd be hard to find anything, but I'm seeing seeds in every store I go to right now. Yeah, yeah, I'm not seeing a, a shortage of that. I have seen a big increase in fertilizer prices, though. And um, I think that's that's definitely going to continue because, I mean, as we talked about last time and and, uh, it's been discussed several times on the show, um, you know, you you had Weaver fertilizer go up here in North Carolina. You had a fertilizer plant in Yakima, Washington go up. Both were major suppliers of um, of fertilizer, uh, specifically ammonium nitrate. And um, you can't just. You can't just cut that back on. You can't just rebuild that place. It's going to take a long period of time. And um, we're, it's, it's, prices are going to increase, I think, across the board on everything. It, it's trickle up effect. 
And I don't know if you saw this as well, but there was just another mysterious massive fire in the UK, I believe, at a large food processing facility. And I think there was one in Spain, too, if I'm correct. I hadn't seen either one of those. I've been a little bit out of the loop, though. Um, I've I've been tracking a few other things, but I, I haven't seen that. What do you got any other uh, anything else about that? Well, I heard it from Ice Age Farmer, who that guy does an excellent job of keeping track of just the war on food. And uh, he had posted some stuff about it not too long ago. I think it was within the past two or three days. But yeah, you have that. And then you've got, uh, okay, yeah, Madeira, a large fire in a supermarket warehouse in Madeira. Uh, So there's that one. I haven't really looked more into anything more than the headline of that one. And I can't remember where the other one was. Uh, but did you see as well in that same vein that the National Weather Service has now stated that they are going to launch fewer weather balloons up into the sky, meaning that you wouldn't have as many on time or accurate weather forecasts in the in the near future? And they're saying this is due to supply chain issues with like helium and hydrogen and whatever else they use to make the balloon fly up in the sky. But uh, that was pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean, that I saw that that that's one way to interpret that. But given that the technology that we have now for meteorology has evolved so much, uh, I don't know. I, I don't think that we're going to have that. We're not going to have that serious of an impact from that. I think uh, meteorology, I mean, even though meteorology is such a big thing, um, a, just a broad area of study in general, we, we've got. We got a lot of the theory down pat on it. So I don't know. I, I don't really see that as a big deal. But the other things, uh, going back to the the fires and, and different, you know, the, the different industrial accidents that are occurring on a more and more frequent basis. You know, this is something I've talked about for several years now. Um, going back to Victor Suvrov's Spetsnaz, the last chapter, which is called Crescendo. That's if a hard book to find, and, by the way. <laughs> it is. It, it used yeah, to man. not be. It used to be pretty easy to find. And then since uh, I started really talking about it, now it's it's gotten kind of hard to find. You can find it on digits uh, online in a few different few different places. But um, that last chapter details the, the Soviet plan of sabotage how they were uh, going to be prepping the battle space, preparing the battle space for an eventual occupation based around creating chaos and, and the creation of chaos so that a place that they planned on occupying later on, setting up a puppet government there, would literally have the people begging for their intervention because of that. And, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there's a lot of directions that you can take that. Uh, would the Russians be behind a lot of this stuff? Could they be? Yeah, I, I think it's it's absolutely within the realm of possibilities. You got to remember they're an enemy nation. Um, you know, for for whatever reason, they are absolutely an enemy nation. And, you know, we, we've been messing around with Ukraine. It, that's that's very, very open and blatant. And, you know, we can absolutely expect retaliation uh, in kind on their part. One of the things with all like 
the Yakima fire and the same thing with the North Carolina fire that I initially, I, I didn't even think about this. I'm thinking initially off the bat, I'm like, okay, so someone was physically present and could have started that fire. However, not considering that with cyber warfare, you can do the same thing. I mean, we've seen that where they've hackers have hacked into the water supply systems and tinkered with an amount of like poisonous chemicals that go into the water supply. There would potentially easily be ways to do the same thing with a fertilizer plant causing some type of problem in the system that could cause something to overheat mechanically or whatever. So you wouldn't even necessarily need somebody to be there in the country. Yeah, that's correct. Um, you know, it, I mean, we saw this at least a, a prototype of something of this manner with a ransomware attack on Colonial Pipeline. Um, you know, and and I can state up front, uh, you know, just being a, a website owner and, and running a forum and um, all the things that I do that that the constant barragement of attacks coming from uh, the east, whether it is China or Russia or even India and Pakistan, any of those. I mean, it, it's through the roof there. And, and, you know, they're trying to attack our sites you know, with ransomware and, and whatever else. But when you're talking about an industrial client, it really depends on what the goal is. And, um, you know, if if your goal is simply to create chaos by any means possible, I mean, when going back to the Colonial Pipeline shutdown, they absolutely achieved every one of those goals. I mean, you know, the East Coast didn't have any fuel for about a week or so. I mean, and, and yep. you know, it, that kind of, that kind of uh, was a was a shock factor for a lot of people, um, you know, it, and, you know, the fertilizer fires, it honestly, it couldn't have happened at a worse time. And, you know, now you're talking about grain prices increasing uh, a lot of the production that we did have, the output that we had, we're not going to have. And, and circling back to the question of digital automation, a lot of your large farms uh, that are, that are run managed by Conagra and Archer Daniels Midland uh, out west, that are the the huge producers of corn and ethanol. A lot of that operation is automated, and so if you shut that down, you're shutting down a huge sector of the economy. And I don't know, do they use SCADA systems with that infrastructure? I'm not even entirely sure on that. Yeah, they do. In addition to uh, water monitoring and and I mean, literally every I mean, everything that you can imagine all the way down to uh, geo positioning of, of the equipment itself, uh, monitoring all that stuff on some of those large farms that are thousands of acres. They have the the quality control it's all all an element of quality control so that you can have repeatability from season to season and that's exactly what they're doing um the problem with that is though is that the more digital we get even though we can get stuff down to an exact science it's inherently now uh increasing our our attack surface and so we have a larger digital attack surface and that's more holes than an adversary can probe and can get into and um you're talking about major sectors of the economy you know i'm obviously i, I don't think i'm the first one to point this out 
But I think it's safe to say right now that we are absolutely in a currency war, you know, and this is a whole other rabbit hole to go down. We're we're absolutely in a currency war between the dollar and the ruble. And, and we're losing. <laughs> well, for right now, uh, and hopefully, yeah. and, and I hope, you know, anybody listening to this, you know, you, you, you nobody here likes the current administration and the corruption and everything, but we certainly don't want to see our country fail. Um, we we pray that it would it, it's it's run differently and for election transparency and everything, and it's a it's kind of a last petition for peace. The Russians are absolutely an adversary too. Now, you know, I have my feelings. We should have stayed out of their backyard. We should have, you know, we we should have been the the country, as Teddy Roosevelt used to put it, where we we speak softly and carry a big stick, and and seek to remove ourselves as much as possible from these negative interactions on the world stage. But you know, that ship is sailed. And I think that the the best thing that we need to do now is to get buttoned up. But you're talking about if we're in a currency war and it's the dollar versus the ruble, the ruble is moving back to a um, at least on some level being gold backed. It's not exclusively uh, going to be gold backed, uh, but it is kind of the, the petro ruble and you know, the, the yuan, the Chinese yuan is uh, moving to become kind of a, a parallel currency with that. They're all at war with the dollar. So where I'm going with all this is, is when you're trying to take out a segment of the economy and that economy, at least in the Midwest, you know that there are small fractures that you can go after or in some cases, really large ones, a big one for the United States is the agricultural production. And in, in particular in the Midwest, we've got corn and we've got wheat. And if you can go after those two, meanwhile, you are repatriating your own exports. You're cutting that off to the rest of the world. You're talking about uh, creating shortages and manufacturing a crisis where people are going to be more open to the negotiating table. And, and you compound that with the fact that now you're demanding that people buy your products in your currency versus your adversary's currency. It's a weak position um, that, that you, you see that, that we've put ourselves into and and uh, our adversaries have been right there at the forefront of it. Yeah, and that's, I mean, currency war is most certainly a real thing too because they, they pointed that out in that manual unrestricted warfare talking about how the Chinese did saying, look, like, this is all about just getting your opponent to bend to your will. And you saw that with George Soros with Albania. It was Albania, I believe, right? Where he wrecked the entire economy there. Well, it was Britain as well. It, it, it wasn't just Albania. Well. Soros has a, a long history of doing this, of yep. uh, being the, the primary investor in a uh, country's national bank. And essentially using his funds to buy up bank bonds and then shorting the bank. And, um, you know, they, they did that with, uh, with Britain and, you know, he, he did it in Albania. He attempted to do it in Hungary. And this is, um, you know, what we're seeing now with, uh, with, with Victor Obon being reelected, 
the guy in Serbia being elected, Marine Le Pen, is looking pretty good in France as well. Um, you know, I haven't uh, followed up with the results coming out of France, but but they're having parliamentary elections right now. I would not be surprised to see if if she comes out of this with, uh, you know, at least a, a, a very um, much stronger position from a nationalist perspective. All of this is in reaction to the practices of George Soros as far as economic investments go and shorting national banks. Because we got to remember, man, in America, we're, we're kind of dumb. Um, we're, we're fed uh, one line from our mass media, which we know is, is lying to us. And the rest of the world kind of sees things from the American perspective, but outside of the American perspective. They, they have access to our media and they see what we're doing and they see, you know, what, what we've done, over, especially over the past 20 years. It's been very, very obvious. And so uh, when we're talking about unrestricted warfare on part of the Chinese, they, they saw that, too. And they've had a very long term view of how to exploit the weaknesses inherent in the West and George Soros and, and the financial sector guys that, that have been uh, very exploitative in their practices. They're a big part of that. And most certainly as well with media, like you were saying, being involved with all that. If, if I go back to the colonial pipeline that you brought up, it was interesting. I went to the gas station during that time. And I was filling up my truck and I was talking to the guy at the pump next to me. That's what we do in the South, right? We, we make friends at the gas station. <laughs> but uh, I was right. talking to the guy and I was like, man, everybody is here today. And he pointed out a guy that was filling up a gas can on, just on the road, right? Or not on the road, but by the pump. And he was like, yeah, you've even got idiots here taking gas that other people need was basically what he was going with with it, saying that. People were being greedy and all that. So the media has a huge sway over people with this and media warfare being a, a, a very much a part of unrestricted warfare with that PLA manual as well. I mean, it's it's all tied together. How yeah. you can get somebody to switch all of a sudden from a this is a normal activity. This guy's filling up his can so he can mow his lawn to now all of a sudden this guy's demonized. <laughs> it's like, how on earth did we the the sway the power there is crazy right and we're seeing it now i mean covid was a big aspect of that the media blitz with covid and and of course that's still going on um yeah. you know they they had a diversion for a little while everybody put up their ukrainian flag and <laughs> and you know now Upside down. we're right and and now we're we're back to uh, COVID and and uh, of course they roll Fauci back out there for a little bit but you know the the problem with it all is is that people are starting to uh, feel the effects of the vaccines Johnson and Johnson is in a whole heck of a lot of trouble um, and th they need another diversion um, I don't think that they they necessarily got what they were looking for. Um, you know, with the, the current thing, but I, I, I like that meme, the, the current thing meme, because that, I mean, it sums it up very, very I support succinct. the current thing. Yeah, I support the current thing, you know, whatever it is, the current thing. What do you think the current thing next is going to be in, in your estimation? 
I think most likely it'll be something with food shortages being more severe. I mean, most certainly we've got Ukraine going on right now, and that is the current thing currently, right? So you've got that going on. And with escalation with that, I mean, all kinds of crazy possibilities. But I do think that uh, in the future, just like with that guy demonizing somebody filling up his gas can for who knows what reason, you could see the same thing with putting too many bags of beans in your grocery cart. Like, oh, okay, you're not leaving enough for the rest of us. I mean, I think that's very plausible in the near future. You know, we saw some of that, though. I mean, we we saw some of that already with uh, the beginning of of COVID when, you know, everybody had to run out and buy toilet paper. uh, Because where would we be without toilet paper? Uh, You know, what what did we ever do without toilet paper? Um, you know, modern, modern luxuries, something that's really only been a thing since, uh, probably about 1955 or so, uh, you know, and, and now all of a sudden, you know, it, we can't, can't go without it. What, 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 what are you going to do without toilet paper? But we saw that. I mean, there were people who were fighting over toilet paper. The videos were out oh, there. Fist fights. You know, yeah. I mean, fist fights. People were, were getting accusatory with one another, things like bottled water, um, when when really you could just invest in a big Berkey and, you know, have some some reusable glass bottles and, and be more sustainable like that. Uh, but yet at the same time, this is how th- this this is what people do. Um, th- this is kind of the nature of man. And I think uh, the rest of the world was was waiting in the wings. Yeah, it's the nature of the beast, human nature with all that. It, gosh, oh, yeah. man, getting in a fist fight with somebody that hasn't had toilet paper. No, thank you. Like, whoa, where's no. that head been? <laughs> I mean, you know, toilet paper is one of those things that's nice to have, but if you ain't got it, there's other ways. I mean, humans have been pooping for as long as there's been humans. <laughs> so, you know, it goes back to Adam and Eve, man. But well, I mean... Well, Go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, but the the demonization, I think we, you know, we saw this early with COVID, the demonization of of preppers. And I think that it's going to come again. And, and, you know, in this day and age, in the modern era in 2022, it's a very safe bet for the media to label all preppers as being, you know, evil conservative Trump supporters, you know, we, you know, we, we hate you. And, um, you know, you, you, you are not obviously going to support, uh, statism and, and, uh, you know, having those mechanisms of control is, is, uh, food and, and the supply chain is a mechanism of control. It's a mechanism of governmental control and corporatocracy control. Um, what would you say to all that? Would do you think that that's a plausible thing? As far as even further demonization of preppers in the future because of that? Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean absolutely, I could see that. Uh, I think that it has become prepping as a whole become more mainstream now, especially ever since 2020. Uh, uh, the people that were going out and buying medical supplies that I knew of in 2020 were not by any stretch of the imagination conservative uh, or pro-constitution in many cases as well. But uh, yeah, going on from this point into the near future, 
I'm still leaning towards it being more food that you're going to see being the, the demonizing like, oh, OK, like we we're tracking credit card purchases and we've got a federally mandated ration where you can only buy X amount of so much like we did in World War Two. And if you have more than that, we'll know about it because we've got your credit card information and we can scan and an AI will go through and say, hey, look, these people bought 600 pounds of food this month like they don't normally do that or spot the anomaly so i could see that coming um and i'm and again that's not something that is new like world war ii with ration or any other time of war you often see that with rations so and they'll turn, yeah. turn it into something where you're being unpatriotic if you're doing it because you don't care about your country or whatever and as far as the extent of that is that going to be because we're going to have more and more u.s men showing up in poland or whatever uh who knows it's a, a scary situation over there right now for us yeah it is it is and you know something you brought up kind of indirectly when when they're talking about going to a digital only currency uh for a multitude of reasons the uh, last interview that i did with uh, james wesley rawls we were talking about that and the the prospects of a digital only currency and really the the Orwellian level of control that can be exhibited there, um, I think that absolutely would would play a pretty significant role. Yep, I like Rawls. Rawls published my first article. Where you get it, man? Everybody got to yeah, start man. somewhere. That's yep. a good place to start. Um, trying to think. Oh, gosh, what was I going to say? In the, OK, well, the same vein with that, with the digital currency. If you notice when you go to grocery stores now where it's like more and more and more self-checkouts and you don't have the people that are actually there checking you out. I think that ties in, again, with a some type of digital currency where if you don't have whatever, you're not uh, you don't have your your passport or whatever, you're not going to be able to buy groceries like that's just how it is. I think that I can see that being meshed together, those two technologies. Yeah, you know, uh, I believe the Bible had something to say about that, specifically the book of Revelation. Uh, yeah, scanning your forehead or your <laughs> your hand, right? Well, I mean, retinal scans, smartphone, you know, and, and I mean... For anybody that, that listens to this and thinks that maybe that's a little bit out there, just just take a, a long term view, uh, looking back at the past 20 years, how far we've come um, with smartphones and, and really phones in general. I mean, we went from in 20 years time, we went from having, you know, no Kias that we had to pull the antenna up on and, you know, flip phones, you know, that gave way to flip phones and then. You know, all of a sudden, I remember the first iPhone came out and and that seemed super high tech, Um, you know, and and now it's kind of this ubiquitous device that everybody kind of has. They look at you really strange if you don't have one, Um, you know, and and I wish that I could go without a phone. That that would be uh, very delightful on my part because it wouldn't be ringing off the hook nonstop. But look at look at how far we've come in 20 years where are we going to go in the next 10 years where are we going to be in the next 20 years you know we've got UN agenda 2030 which is uh, absolutely laying out a plan for world government if if you go and read it they tell you in their words that's exactly what they're doing 
Um, you know, we have financiers, George Soros, uh, on one hand, you've got Klaus Schwab on another, and these guys are all about the, the centralization of control. It's not capitalist or communist. It, it's, it's its own thing. Uh, it, it's oligarchy and it is a question of power, whether they have power over you or, or not. And it, it was exactly what our founding fathers warned us about. It was exactly what the Bible warned us about specifically in the book of revelation. It is all in there. Um, you know, it, and it, it was a repeated theme, biblical theme over and over where man begins to question the will of God and man gets smited. And I think that, that we're really headed towards a time like that. Um, you know, and and we shall see. Uh, we shall see. For all the, the folks out there that think that, you know, Russia is, is the one pushing back against the new world order. I, I really don't think so. Um, they're just another faction of it. They're, they're competing with one another for control. Now, right before we came on the air, one of the things that you and I were discussing was some of the news headlines that's coming out of Eastern Europe and talking about this this looming conflict kind of shifting back to Ukraine and how it's all breaking down. There's some interesting stuff coming out of Romania. Yeah, so like Romania, I've been keeping tabs on it because a friend of mine is she he's married to a Romanian woman. And uh, so we just we go back and forth and like give updates as far as like what's going on over there. And just recently, they've instituted a draft, and it's like 10,000 men are going to be drafted into the reserves in Romania, and they've got to be, be between, I think, 18 to 40 years old. And so you've got that going on. But I'm also hearing reports that Romania is now giving potassium iodide tablets to its citizenry, which for people that are longtime listeners to your show, they probably know this already, but potassium iodide is used to block the thyroid from absorbing radiation in event of a a nuclear meltdown, a, a nuclear weapon, or whatever. So both of these, I think, are rather alarming. Uh, and there's other stuff going on there as well. But those were the two main things that we were talking about prior. Right, right. It, the the potassium iodide tablets, uh, rationing them out to the population now at at this point, I think is um, you know on one hand is a is a responsible measure for them to be taken because they, they literally are on the front line of this. Um, you know, it, and when I was, uh, talking to Joe Dolio last week and we were talking about where this was kind of going, I asked him, uh, where in his estimation, because he's following all this very, very, very closely and meticulously, um, where he thought that the next flare up was going to be, because my estimation was the Baltic States, um, I'm kind of sticking to those guns. I know that they're part of NATO, but I'm uh, just there's a, just my my instincts there telling me that's going to be the next thing because they are of critical importance. Um, that is a, a primary avenue of approach right into Moscow historically um, for the the Western half of Russia, the the more Europeanized half of Russia, the more heavily populated. Uh, population of Russia. So I would expect that to happen before Moldova. His estimation was Moldova. Um, and I mean, he might be right. I, I don't know that the Russian army certainly hasn't performed to my expectations. I don't think they've performed really to anybody's expectations. 
Um, you know, and, and there may be a lot of reasons for that. There's a lot of things we don't know. There's a lot of disinformation, misinformation. Um, it, and I don't trust anything coming out of Russia. I damn sure don't trust anything coming out of Ukraine. So really all we've got yeah. is, is video snippets here, here and there. Um, but as far as the Romanian government issuing out um, potassium iodide, I think that's a responsible measure, but it is also one that is a signal because they would not do that without a heads up from somebody in NATO saying you might ought to you might ought to start handing it out. Um, well, you know, and dude, there's there's so much in there. I, I think too, like so. I was talking with uh, I was talking with Bob Griswold of Ready Made Resources, who I highly recommend checking out his store. If you're listening, because he's got everything like <laughs> he's got everything online that you could ever want as far as prepping related. Uh, but we were talking about potassium iodide. He's like, man, it's because I was like, well, uh, it's hard to find right now. It's like, man, it's not just me. Everybody's can't get it like nobody's getting potassium iodide in right now. And right. you look online and you can't find it anywhere. And I was looking and this is for listeners as well. So, like, if you look on Amazon, you'll see little vials of potassium iodide. But I would be very leery of those little bottles that you're seeing. The reason being that unless they have the USP logo on them where they have been independently certified, you don't know what's in those. They could literally be sawdust and you wouldn't know or ground flour or ground rice powder. And that's happened in the past. We've seen that before with those vitamin vitamin supplements. So you've got that and there's no FDA approval with those things. So you you don't know what you're getting. If if I was going to get them. I would get the real deal. Uh, fine. From and from my understanding, my research is that ThyroSafe is a good one, and IOSAT's a really good one. And if you can find another one with the USP label on it, I would be more inclined to trust that. And I mean, that's not medical advice or anything. That's just my own opinion on that. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. IOSAT yeah. is is the one that I bought, and uh, I bought it years ago. Um, back during the 2015 election, because if uh, a lot of people didn't know this, but back during the the 2015 election, and I believe um, it may have been Organic Prepper, it might have even been you that that ran one of these stories, but there was um, there was allegations that a nuclear weapon in Eastern Europe had went unaccounted for, and um, I had a story that somewhat corroborated that. Uh, of course, this was back before I was I was writing, and you know I, I really wasn't anybody uh, at that point. Um, you know, I, I I think I did have a blog at that time. I might have had the original Brush Feeder site up, but um, there there was some serious. Uh, there was the world was kind of a scary place, and then that that story when it broke kind of told me, you know, gave me a little bit of a, you know, hair standing up on, on the back of my neck. Maybe you need to pick up some potassium iodide. And, um, you know, it, I initially uh, researched it a little bit because I know with the, the uh, with the supplement industry, there's a lot of junk out there, especially if you're buying from, uh, we'll say, less than, than uh, scrupulous sources out yeah. there. But um, the thing is, uh, give, giving a shout out to my very good friend, uh, Bob Griswold, um, you know, he, he's a, a close friend of mine. I, I can tell you, I, I trust the man with my life, uh, with my family's lives. 
And he, first of all, he's only going to get the products that he takes. He, he doesn't buy anything that he doesn't use himself. And when I say that, he uses the products that he has in his store. I mean, literally, he lives off of the stuff that he has in his store. Uh, so, yep. you know, he, he I, I don't think there's anybody out there that can vouch for their product uh, in any better way than, than he can. And, um, you know, I initially bought my tablets from him and that was back in 2015 because that was leading up to the election. And I knew, um, you know, I didn't really trust Trump then. Um, don't never really completely trusted the guy and still don't, um, you know, but. We have to just take everything at face value. But, uh, you know, I I knew that that the Clintons were, uh, you know, neck deep in really dirty stuff. Uh, You know, the false flag question is is always on the table. And I figured, you know, if 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 a nuclear weapon is going to go missing or even alleged to be going missing uh, like it did back then, um, might as well err on the safe side. You know, it, 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 living here in the East Coast, it, it's a target rich environment for uh, potential nuclear weapons and, and uh, nuclear fallout as well. It's just a good idea to have it. Yep, I think so, too. And I think it's interesting that you can look at the market and see uh, what the world is thinking by looking at the market. So, like, if you see, I don't know, like food sales, all this dis- toilet paper, toilet paper disappeared off the shelves. And it's because people were afraid and people were scared and try to figure out what the heck was going on in 2020. Well, I think you can see the same thing today looking at the market, as you always can, where uh, Crescent Kearney's Nuclear War Survival Skills, that book, which I think is probably the best book ever written on anything regarding nuclear survival. I believe it was two weeks ago. Like, it was gone. Like, you couldn't find it on Amazon. It was sold out. It, as of today, it's back up there. Uh, but people are concerned about this stuff, and I think it's better to like you were saying in 2015, like look at what's coming down the pipelines and do what you can now to, to avoid that. And again, if I give another shout out to ready-made resources, like that guy has got everything. <laughs> Go to him. You ain't giving your money to Jeff Bezos that way and check out what he's got. Right. Yeah. I mean, and, and, um, you know, like I said, he's, he's a, a very close personal friend of mine. Um, we talk at least once a week and, um, you know, I, have I've run many classes at his place and I've got a couple more coming up this summer, uh, in July, uh, the second weekend in July, I'm going to have, um, the carbine course and I've got an intelligence tradecraft course up there as well that I think, um, is going to fill up pretty quick. I've already got, uh, the carbine course, I've already got about half that course full at capacity. And uh, the intelligence course, I've got several that are in there, too. It's not quite at half capacity yet, but it, it there's a, a whole lot of interest in that. Um, so hey, you know, definitely, if, if you're in the Tennessee Valley, you're in East Tennessee or, uh, you know, Western North Carolina, Kentucky, Virginia, Georgia, or really anywhere, um, you know, it's going to be at, at ready-made resources. You definitely want to get out and, um, and check that class out. It's going to be absolutely beautiful up there too in Teleco Plains that time of the year. I've run classes at his place in the middle of winter. Uh, we're, you know, you and I were just out there for the RTO course, um, 
you know, a couple months ago. And, uh, I mean, it was gorgeous then. It rained the whole time, but it, it was it was gorgeous <laughs> then. Okay, well, okay, talking about the training stuff, I, I, this is something I wanted to ask your opinion on, and I, the listeners may enjoy this as well. So summertime's coming up, and you got people wearing shorts where you don't have as much uh, ability to carry things on your person as you would in the colder months. And you've got, if you're wanting to carry uh, like any type of like trauma gear with you, and you've got limited pocket space, would you prefer a tourniquet or like a Israeli battle dressing or some type of other compression bandage? Which would you, if you could only pick one? Tourniquet. Cat tourniquet. tourniquet. 100% of the time. Cat tourniquet. Uh, cat tourniquet. So um, that's that. That's actually a really good question because we're, we're coming right up on the heels of a uh, prolonged off-grid field care course that uh, a friend of mine who is a uh, she is a, a medical doctor practicing up in your neck of the woods, uh, by the way, mm-hmm. and uh, family care physician. She did a residency with Doctors Without Borders in Ecuador and um, <clears throat> sharp as a razor. I mean, a patriot to the core, sharp as a razor. And uh, she approached me about doing this course and it really wasn't the, the tactical trauma end of it it kind of you know where where uh, mech medic teaches all of that that end of stuff uh the immediate response to things but she went very in depth with uh you know different illnesses and how to treat all of that off grid and um you know various different things that are more sustainable and quality of life but circling back to uh she's going to be teaching that again by the way we're going to nail down a couple more dates going into the summer and in the fall because that class was just, uh, I mean, it was a full group and those are skills that, that really need to be taught in a broader sense. But, um, that, that ties into what I'm about to say. So you say, you know, going into the summertime, a lot of people are wearing shorts. Well, um, you should always have a cat tourniquet on you. Doesn't matter what you're doing. Doesn't matter where you are. You should have a cat tourniquet, at least one. Okay. Uh, you know, I'm getting ready to do a bunch of chainsaw work. Like literally as soon as uh, we're done with this interview and I get it posted up, I'm getting ready to work with a chainsaw out here, um, cutting up some, some deadfall and, and kind of reducing the fire threat. And, uh, you know, running chainsaw, you, you never know what's going to happen. Uh, you, you, Israeli dressings, uh, pressure dressings can have a tourniquet effect if they are applied correctly. But the problem is, is that somebody has to apply that to you. Uh, it's not something yeah. that's going to stop the bleeding. If you, you are trying to apply it to yourself. Me personally, I think they're kind of a waste of time. Um, if, if it's a injury that I'm treating in extremis, meaning, um, you know, you're, you, you get your hand caught in, in a piece of machinery or, you know, hung up with a chainsaw, cut your leg one time. Uh, you know, I, I've had that happen. Um, you know, a, a guy, uh, that I was working with once, you know, nicked himself with a chainsaw and, uh, doesn't take much and it, it cuts you pretty bad. Um, you know, and, and of course all the dramatic stuff. And, and I use those examples because those are more relevant for day to day. Uh, day-to-day triage of, of things that are more likely than gunshots, you know, but talking about the tactical side of the house, um, you know, we just had a mass shooting, a, another one out in California, um, looked like it was, it was some gangland kind of stuff out there, which is, is really no surprise. 
uh, given where it, where it took place and, and, uh, you know, the context behind it, but tourniquets are, are one stop shop. Doesn't matter if you have an extremity injury, a tourniquet is a one stop shop to shut the bleeding off. Now you're not going to be happy about it because you are literally shutting the blood flow off to your extremities, you know, whatever it is, wherever you attach that tourniquet. But I'm telling you, a cat tourniquet, get a real one. Get one from North American Rescue. Uh, my buddy Mech Medic, Stuck Pig Medical, um, you know, he he sells individual IFACs. He sells, um, you know, the kits themselves. He sells the tourniquets as well. He's a dealer for North American Rescue. He can do a little bit better on price than you're going to get from uh, from the vendor from them. Um, so he, he's just a little bit below what they're asking because he sells a lot in volume. And, um, I strongly recommend that now being outdoors. If you're outdoors a lot, like I am, I don't wear shorts generally. Um, unless I'm swimming, I'm not wearing shorts. It just doesn't, that's just not, uh, you know, I'm, I'm always in uh, a pair of Ariats or Wranglers and, and that's pretty much it, um, you know, but uh, and there's a lot of reasons for that when, you know, when I'm out, it, it's a way to reduce um, mechanisms of injury from different things, stings, bug bites, uh, you know, uh, stuff that's on the ground, critters that are on the ground. Um, whatever. It, it's just, it's what I grew up doing. It really doesn't matter how hot it is. That's just how we dress. Yeah, it definitely, especially being out in the woods with blackberry bushes or whatever, you get torn up in shorts. I'm just thinking like, if you're going out about on town, like, I don't know, you're running some errands real fast or something like that. I know, uh, Joe Dolio is like adamantly against shorts. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, don't ever wear shorts. <laughs> No, I and and I am too. Unless, I mean, unless I'm I'm working out or something, and you know, that's that's a different animal when you're wearing gym shorts. But like, shorts, shorts. No, um, I'm I'm always wearing, I'm always wearing jeans. And um, you know, on that note, that's why in in the carbine courses, I've had people ask me this, and it's something that I, I bring up. Why I teach. Uh, firearms courses dressed as if you know i'm um doing farm work or anything else and, and i always tell them uh you know I, i'm teaching this class wearing non-tactical attire because nine times out of ten if you're gonna get into a defensive uh thing you you don't have time to throw on all the tactical gear. What are you likely to be wearing? Um, you know, and, and for me, that's jeans and, and uh, you know, a, a leather belt. And, uh, you know, I've got a pair of Twisted X uh, cowboy slash work boots. I've, I've got them on right now um, that are really, really comfortable to wear. And that's what I'm pretty much wearing every single day. Uh, so that's just how you dress. So you got to know how to fight wearing what you have. And it's the same with, with everything else. You know, we, we, we don't, well, I'm sure there's probably somebody listening to this that, that runs around wearing multicam and a kit all day long. Um, you know, but I don't, 
you know, I, I, I did that at one point in time and, you know, now it's, it's, uh, you know, wearing, wearing other stuff and, uh, you know, day to day I'm carrying a Glock 19 around and, and that's it. That's, that's how I'm armed. And, um, having a cat tourniquet and integrating it into your clothing that you're wearing every day is really critical. Um, you know, for, for all of those reasons, cause you have to actually be able to use the stuff that you have. Not everything is, is, is quote unquote tactical. Um, you know, you, you have to kind of learn tactical equates some sort of tactic and it really depends on what that is. Um, you know, you also brought up as we were coming on the air, uh, that, you know, the, the, the bad guys, quote unquote, the people kind of on the other side of this conflict in, in Ukraine and what looks like it's growing to be a, a much larger conflict than, than what it is currently, um, that they're training in things that are very similar to what a lot of folks out there in the training community, myself included, have been advocating this entire time that civilians really need to get prepared for. Uh, you brought up a, a couple of interesting things about that. Um, one of them was, was dealing with trauma response. Yeah. So, uh, so forward observer over there, they have a map where you can see every day, like these are the hot spots of low intensity conflict in the United States. And you'll see like, okay, today there is a, normally it's like a protest or a riot or something related to, uh, BLM or Antifa or whatever, some other communist organization. Well, of of late, one of the things I've noticed over there is that you'll see, hey, this communist group over here is training in like trauma care. So they're, they're training each other how to use tourniquets and deal with um, gunshot wounds and whatever else. And then you'll see in this city over here, they're doing a like a tactics course. And this this place over here, they're doing defensive defensive pistol courses and they're all the same communist style ideology. But like they are actively training openly as far as like um, that kind of stuff. So I don't know. Interesting food for thought. And I, I do recommend checking out Forward Observer because you'll see you'll see it's oh, all yeah. over. Uh, particularly, yeah, I, I noticed that. Go, oh, ahead. go ahead. Well, I see, of course, like Washington and Oregon, you'll see stuff over there, but you'll and you'll see stuff in New York City. But then you'll see stuff in uh, like Atlanta or you'll see stuff in other it's always in large cities. But outside of the places that you would typically expect, I've noticed I've seen that of late, too. So well, I wouldn't right. expect it, it in the in the south, basically. Well, you know, on one hand, you wouldn't you wouldn't expect certain things in rural areas. But I can tell you without a doubt uh, that, that that's absolutely happening. Uh, Redneck Revolt which is a um, it it started in West Virginia, you know, and you and I have discussed them uh, in the past. It started as a, uh, a Marxist group in, in West Virginia that uh, got their name from the coal miners at the Battle of Blair Mountain which, uh, you know, goes back to, uh, 1921. It was a very interesting time in American history. And, um, you know, they, they just had their hundred years celebration of that as well. And, uh, the reason they call it redneck revolt 
is they uh, the, the coal miners that unionized and went out on strike and, and actually fought a large scale gun battle against first uh, strike breakers um, of United Coal. And then later the U.S. Army was pulled in um, in order to put the strike down. And uh, the contemporary left looks at that as kind of a, a, a tale of, of martyrdom and, a, and you know, a, a hero's tale. There, so that's that. That's where they draw their their history from. These guys are in West Virginia. They quickly spread into uh, Central Virginia here in North Carolina. One of the biggest chapters of it actually is at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, and um, their organizer slash um, uh, senior cadre there was the guy that that chased um, the the kid at charlottesville he he was chasing him with a rifle saying we're you know we're we're gonna kill you and um you know that's how charlottesville went down and and um you know the fat girl rolled over and had a heart attack um that's exactly what happened i mean you know you you may have disdain for you know everything else about it hey whatever it doesn't matter the fact is is that those are the facts so Red Egg Revolt is actually a, a big thing, and one of their goals that they have publicly stated is that they are going to push out into rural areas. They're they're going to go out there, and we see that. Um, you know, we see that in Central North Carolina. If you go to any farmers market, um, you know you're going to see elements of this. You're going to see uh, exactly what it is they're doing if if you have a keen enough eye and understand the the ideology and the symbology a little bit. This is something I've talked about in class uh, in the past. I'm going to be covering it in the intelligence collection course as well. Uh, exactly what to look for with examples of it, but. Um, you know, they're they're absolutely pushing out into the, the rural areas. I've written about this in the past. Um, you know, folks tend to think that, you know, if, if you just move out to a rural area and, and, you know, you have 25, 30 acres or whatever, and, you know, you're out in the middle of nowhere that, that you're you're somehow safe from all this. You're absolutely not. That's it, a delusion. Um, you know, you just have more things to worry about with less people. It doesn't mean you shouldn't be out in the rural areas. You you absolutely should be, but you have to approach the topic a different way. And just because you're out in a rural area doesn't mean that you're you're good to go. Right, so what are your thoughts on this? If we're going back to the book on Spetsnaz, uh, called Spetsnaz, if we're looking at that and we're looking at, okay, the impending cyber attacks from Russia, we keep pushing and pushing and pushing. We keep funneling more and more and ever increasing amounts of aid, quotation marks, to Ukraine. And can you see them in the future, uh, like, let's say, activating those types of organizations over here where we are seeing them being pissed off with us? And they're saying, OK, not only are you getting cyber attacks, but now you're going to have fill in the blank with whatever communist state grown or communist homegrown organization going around causing increasing levels of havoc on American soil that aren't necessarily necessarily Russians. But they are whether they've been trained by Russian Russians back. or they're getting oh yeah, yeah. Russian back. Yeah, you know I think we're going to see that here actually pretty soon. Um, if it we may already be seeing it and and we're just not we might already be experiencing it and we're just not seeing it. I think that's mm-hmm. a better way uh, of putting it um, because and and don't 
one of the problems a lot of people have in America is that we get into this very rigid ideological stance of, of like, uh, especially nowadays, I, I'm cemented here and you're cemented there. And, and you got to understand that the left, the left in, in, is an international organization in scope and they don't necessarily adhere to uh, one nation state or another. They just simply take advantage of, of whatever's feeding them at the time. Uh, Antifa on the West Coast is absolutely backed by the Chinese. Uh, that, that's really uh, shouldn't come as a shock. And uh, the, the Chinese are, are really the shadow hand that is propelling a lot of this stuff. So I don't know necessarily if I would be willing to say that Russia is, is going to play a big hand in it. But China absolutely will. And when we see what's going on uh, in South America, the, the situations down there that uh, in different countries that I've been tracking very, very, very closely, uh, because Venezuela is about to go to war with Colombia. They are, are really uh, setting the stage for that right now. And, um, you know, nobody it, it seems like nobody in this administration, in the Biden administration, is at all prepared to handle that. And this is a move that's completely being made at the behest of both uh, the Russian government and the Chinese government working in concert. And just yesterday, just yesterday, and I put this up on American Partisan, um, Cuba is, you know, now signaling not only that, that they've had their national debt count uh, canceled to Russia, that happened a few years ago, but that they are thanking the world. This is a public proclamation. They're thanking the world that supported them against the Western blockade, what they called the Western blockade, specifically the American blockade. It's been in, in place since 1962. And so this is a, a, a signal to the rest of the world that they're getting ready to kick something off. When that happens, you're going to see a lot of proxies here in the States go live. Uh, La Raza is, is one such proxy that will, will absolutely go live. Uh, cartels have been bringing in a lot of material support. Uh, they've absolutely had the human smuggling element on. And, it, you know, I, I tell you, Aiden, one of the big things to keep in mind is, is when we have a, a wide open border where, you know, thousands of people are coming in every single day. We have absolutely no way of screening these people. And they're being flown in. And they're being flown in. It's reasonable to suspect that at least 5% of them have some sort of military training at a minimum. Whether that's conventional force military training or unconventional force working on part of an intelligence agency, right? It, yep. it, it's it's reasonable to suspect that it's not outside of the, the realm of possibilities. Right. So when we put all that together, we're painting a broader picture. These are people who who are ushering in the downfall of the United States. It's what they want. And our, this administration, I think one of the, my greatest frustrations is that this administration and it seems like nobody in Washington, uh, Republican or Democrat, seems to really care or or, uh, or or at all prepared to deal with with that level of fallout. I, I just don't see it. Yep. I mean, they've all got their own little bunker they 
it would go and retreat too. And, <laughs> you know, like we're talking about that kind of stuff, or even you said fallout as well, even if it did come down to fallout, like actual fallout, it would, they'd be hiding underground like little hobbits and you and I are eating canned food that we just opened with a little pocket knife trying to eat. <laughs> so. Well, I got a lot yeah, of and it, same, so, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the same thing with those the refugees getting flown in from Ukraine. About 30% of them aren't even Ukrainian. You got fighting I, age I'd men coming in from the Middle that. East. Yeah, well, that's, yeah, I, I think so, too. That's the statistic they're throwing around in the media anyways, 30%, which, yeah, we know they lie. But <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we're not... We're not getting inundated with with a you know a, a plane flight full of, of milakunises. I mean it, it's just not uh, that's that's not happening. Um, you know we're we're getting people being brought in from who knows where else, and I think that it's all it, it, to me it's very interesting that they they're all being flown in to Mexico first and then brought into the United States, well, like. You know, why? what's interesting about that, too, is uh, I was talking with a guy the other day and someone had poured, I believe it was sugar down his gas tank. And they found out that there was a number of cases of that within his region. And uh, what they linked it to, it was the guy always had, had a American flag or some type of U.S. military bumper sticker on his vehicle. And the guy that was doing this, they found out was like a reef, a recent refugee, quote unquote, that was upset about American involvement in his country. And so he was going around and sabotaging people's gas tanks. But somebody brought him here. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you define irony. Uh, somebody brought him here and, you know, showed him a good time, showed him the door. And, and, you know, all of a sudden he's, it's how he shows his gratitude is, is by, uh, you know, wanting to burn the place down and attack anybody who's pro American, you know, because, in the face of the communist international being pro-American, being, being a nationalist of, of any type, uh, believing in, in a strong nation of your birth is, is, you know, in, being an apostate, uh, you, you can't do that, uh, because they, they don't want us strong. They don't want America to be strong. They don't want Hungary to be strong. They don't want Serbia to be strong. They don't want Britain to be strong. Any, any you know, any nation, they don't want us strong because if, if our nations are strong, then we're not reliant on handouts coming from a United Nations. We're not reliant on, um, a, a international community, quote unquote, to supply us with the things that we need and and for the the corporatocracy the uh, the corporate oligarchy in the United States they don't want a strong America because that means that a strong America uh, isn't willing to import its labor and isn't willing to uh, bring in people the these refugees unabated from the third world it's it's you know the the corporations themselves have a heavy hand in bringing those people in yeah yeah they're i mean the corporations if you're a globalist corporation that's hand and foot with them guys whether you're looking at how they incorporate esg scores or how they're tied in with the united nations it's just par for the course for, for them it's how they, they can continue their grift and their exploitation. Um, you know, if if 
uh, uh, government is dependent on military aid, which is directly going into the coffers of, of Raytheon and Lockheed and uh, Boeing and everybody else. It, it, and when you're doing that, when you are um, forcing them to be reliant on your economic system, um, you know, the times are good until they're not. And I think uh, very, very quickly the world is going to find out about what happens when they're not. Because going back to talking about it, it being a currency war, you know, a lot of people will chalk it all up to, well, you know, the the uh, the powers that be have this grand plan and, and they're just going to work it all out. And even though we're going to continue to suffer or whatever, we'll watch it live on the TV. Well, I've, I've got news for you. I don't think they do. I don't think they have a grand plan. I think that there's a lot of people right now in the halls of power that are literally about to shit themselves because they they actually don't have a plan for all this. That's what uh, Brandon Smith over at Birch Gold Group, he writes about that pretty extensively oh, yeah. talking about like they're just throwing crap against the wall and and seeing what happens, seeing what works and seeing what people tolerate and go with and so on and so forth. Uh, but yeah, well, who knows? <laughs> who knows? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, yeah, I, I agree a hundred percent with that. I'm, I'm a, I'm a fan of Brandon, uh, over, over at alt market and, uh, yeah, he does good. Yeah. 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 He, and you know, it, it's, uh, one thing he's been very consistent on, uh, is the fact that all wars are bankers wars and, you know, wars are a result of a uh, some sort of impasse on economic trade one way or another and somebody's getting cut out of a deal uh, somebody's getting cut out of a business deal and um you know it, it, and we're seeing that again uh, we're we're seeing the real roots of uh the Ukrainian crisis is really coming to a head because it was all over Nord Stream 2 um, well and you, you brought know, it, that up with it being Burisma right Right. Yeah, Burisma I, was direct competition to Gazprom. And I don't think I'd heard of anybody point that out until you pointed it out. Like, I, I'd never even heard of Burisma until that point. And I was like, oh, wow. Like this. Yeah, I I think this is going to go somewhere then. <laughs> and it did. <laughs> so. Well, I mean, you just look at who's on the board of directors there, you know, and and. It wasn't me. I wasn't the first person to point it out. I, I mean, it first was. I, a, I mean, it was a campaign issue. It was, um, you know, th there were some rumblings about Barisma in the past. Some questions. I mean, I did look into who's in charge there, because uh, I always look at, at who's in charge in, in a corporate model. If you look in, and see who's who's involved, that that'll tell you a lot, um, and. Why is it that a Ukrainian oil company has so many Westerners with intelligence agency and political and military ties? Why do they have all these people all of a sudden working for them in a in a Ukrainian oil company? That that just seems odd to me. Yeah. Yep, and that's that's my understanding as well is that there are a number of American politicians that are associated with that over there. Well, it's it, it's a money grifting operation, you know, and it's yep. it's all offshore. And, you know, you can you can make a big pile of money that's that, you know, the IRS can't watch. And 
Um, you know, the, the, uh, there's ways around that of laundering all that money through Swiss bank accounts and the Cayman islands and layering it all. And it's outside of any, uh, you know, judicial watch or, or any of these guys that, that, uh, these organizations out there, both left and right that monitor campaign donations and, and monitor this stuff very, very closely and, and are really doing the yeoman's work when it comes to uh, at least attempting to hold government accountable to all this, these levels of corruption. Well, and that's one of the couple of reasons I think that what's going on over there is only going to spread and escalate. It's most certainly the money, because money talks, and one way to piss people off is to mess with their wallets, right? So I think there's most certainly that, and we're seeing all kinds of American troops getting flown into Poland. Uh, we're seeing increasing rhetoric on American politicians side where they're just saying stupid crap, like poking the bear with it. So you got that going on. I just, I don't see it going anywhere good for Americans with this. No, you know, Roger Wicker, uh, Roger Wicker from, uh, Republican from Mississippi getting out there saying, you know, we need to, we need to nuke Russia. Uh, this is, this is absolute lunacy. I mean, this is AOC level lunacy here. Um, you know, the, the, uh, uh, the ever um, omnipotent Lindsey Graham, uh, getting out there saying that, that Putin needed to be assassinated. Uh, you know, Graham, Graham is apparently completely unaware of the findings of the church commission and, and, you know, why America doesn't assassinate world leaders anymore, uh, after (laughs) anymore, anymore, or at least we, we pretend we don't. Not on paper. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and, and we have the audacity to say, uh, you know, that, that, you know, Putin, Putin is, is bad and he, and he is, I mean, he, he's an old line, old hardline KGB, uh, guy coming up in the Stalinist model, but at the same time, you know, on the other hand, he's doing what's best for Russia. And, and, um, the fact that he's a, a fighter, a Teddy Roosevelt type character for the Russian people is, is an admirable quality. Even if you recognize that that's a that that's an adversary nation, I don't think that we would have such a character in the states today. I mean, I think Trump was probably the closest that we had to that, and and you know we, we see how that went, and um, I, I don't know. On that so, note, yeah. I'll go ahead. Well, I, okay, um, it was. I'll shorten it. I'll shorten this little question here for you. So what do you think about the reports of like Russian generals are being flown to the Ural Mountains? Because we've seen these flight reports of like all these Russian private jets that are getting flown to the Ural Mountains. I know that in Nuclear War Survival Skills by Crescent Kearney, he says that as an American, you don't necessarily have to worry as much until you start to see mass amounts of Russians going out of the cities. Do you think think that's actually going on right now is that what we're seeing with those jets flying that way is this uh more of rumor than it is anything else what do you think could be um i don't think i don't think the movement of senior military advisors and and senior military officers is necessarily a signal to anything um yeah because they, I mean, they come and go all the time. I, yeah. And, and, uh, look, look at the United States. I mean, we have, uh, you know, Noah, 
uh, or not Noah, NORAD rather. Noah, we were talking yep. about Noah earlier, but NORAD, um, you know, which is a giant mountain complex in, in the middle of Colorado. We have Mount Weather, Virginia. Uh, we've got Site R. We have Camp David. Um, you know, we, it, we have... If you look at the positioning of a lot of military bases, uh, they're in strategic locations for a reason. And and the Russians, obviously, the Russians are not stupid. I mean, they you know they they're going to move people around and kind of kind of keep things shuffled up as necessary. But one thing it is to keep in mind, uh, one thing that, that we all need to keep in mind about Russia is that again. Whatever it is that we see that is emanating from Russian soil is likely to be disinformation to include yeah. to include actual plane flights themselves um, because they, they have complete control over all that. It's not to say that, um, <clears throat> you know, if you're watching a, a YouTube video and, you know, somebody's following uh, ASDB uh, transponders and, and whatever that. Um, those flights aren't happening cause they are, but you can spoof that a number of different ways, uh, and, and, or just switch them off. And then who, who's to say what, what's on that flight manifest? I mean, we don't know. Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't read too deep into that. Uh, as far as Russians moving out of the cities, uh, in, in some kind of mass migration, uh, Sure. I mean, it's no different than it would be here in the States. Um, you know, mm -hmm. people, if so say like failsafe, for example, if, if anybody's ever seen failsafe, I strongly recommend you do, um, both the original and the newer version that came out in the early two thousands, um, that had a lot of a list Hollywood actors in it. I, I thought that it was really well done. The original was really well done. The updated one was was well done as well. Had Richard Dreyfuss as the president. Um, I, I thought it was great. But if you watch that and, you know, if if a scenario like that were to happen uh, where we had a limited nuclear exchange. And of course, in failsafe, it was a uh, it was accidental um, in uh, you, you know, in, in, I would say a more likely scenario, it, it would still be a limited nuclear exchange. I think that we would get hit from the South as well. Uh, we're not going to get hit over the North pole, like, like, uh, you know, the conventional cold war scenario, we're going to get hit from the South. That that's the way it's going to come. But, um, yeah, I mean, we, we would have people flocking, to rural areas to do anything they could to get out of the cities. I mean, if you remember back to uh, the RTO course when I was talking about uh, the evolution of Conrad, uh, I don't know if I, I don't know if I got to that um, while you were in the RTO course or not. I might have brought it up in the advanced RTO, but um, or uh, where I cover loop antennas and, and the purpose behind them, but. You know, our Conrad system or the containment of electromagnetic radiation is what it originally stood for. And that gave way to the emergency broadcast system and then the emergency alert system that we know of today. But originally it was Conrad and it was designed to make all radio stations go dark in a given urban area. And that way the, the uh, Russian Tupolev bombers 
the bear bombers would fly because they were doing everything by radio direction finding. They would fly mm. to another location, the only radio signal they could get for uh, that municipal area. They would fly to that and drop their payload on that as a decoy target rather than hit the center of the urban area. And that was our early strategy in uh, the 1950s in the Cold War. And, you know, some of those old, um, old, old radios, uh, clock radios that you, you, you know, you sometimes find at thrift stores and whatever, they'll actually have a little civil defense marker on them. It was uh, 640 and 1240 kilohertz AM radio stations that would be outside of your, your major metropolitan areas. So cool little piece of history right there. Um, but as far as, uh, Kearney's assessment, people, you know, uh, leaving the city in droves. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if, if though, the question is, if we could trust those reports that are coming out, yeah. I think a a better indication would be, uh, just kind of looking at our, our own thing, like the reactions of, um, our government officials, if, if all of a sudden we quit seeing, which I mean, Biden is, is kind of a non-existent president anyway. Uh, but if we quit seeing anyone from the, the, uh, senior staff, even Jen Psaki, we didn't see any of these people coming out, but we just all of a sudden had a new spokesman and that person is out there, uh, you know, more often than not. That's when I begin to question, where is everybody? Because that means that even Jen Psaki and, and, you know, White House press secretary is very important because they they fill the role of normalcy from day to day. We get used to seeing them. I mean, uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders was kind of the same deal. And uh, Sean Spicer before that. And then, of course, Kaylee McInerney. But we got used to seeing the same people over and over again because they they when you have the same person up there, it's a psychological effect. It's kind of calming like it. All right, this is normal. I'm used to this. When I see somebody I'm not used to, it's immediately kind of jarring in your brain. Like, wait a minute, who's this person? Why are they up there? And in, in times of national emergency, you would hide the white house press secretary along with, you know, the, this, the rest of the senior administration officials to roll them out to tell the American public, hey, everything's okay, it's under control, we've got this, even though really we might not. But the events leading up to all of that, you would have, uh, you know, somebody else out there getting out there, like maybe somebody from the State Department or some lower level official, and you're really questioning, who is this person? You know, I, I don't know who this this guy is or, you know, I, I don't recognize them. Something's not right. And um, this this policy has been around a long time, but it, it kind of goes back to when Reagan got shot uh, by John Hinckley because you had uh, Alexander Haig get out there immediately and say, everything's OK, I'm in control. And um, if for anybody that doesn't know that piece of history, you should go back and look at that exactly what happened, because there was a nationwide freak out when that happened uh, in the Soviet Union, yeah. <laughs> too, because Haig had come from the Pentagon. He had he was a former general. And all of a sudden, oh, like, is this uh, 
this is bad news. You know, th- this guy's getting ready to get ready to, to come across Western Europe. Oh, you still there? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm oh. Sorry. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, we, you know, we, we've kind of been going down these different rabbit holes of, of, uh, serious stuff. Um, you know, hour and 18 minutes into this, what, what are your preparations? What, what is it that you're working on right now? Yeah. So, uh, I, let's see, I got four new baby little chickens the other day. Normally I get like 40 chickens in the, in the spring. I only got four this year. I just switching it up a little bit. Uh, I got a hand water pump that you like, like grandma used to have. Right. One thing I would caution people that are looking at that. I didn't realize this till I got it, but it only has the ability to draw water up 25 feet worth of pipe. I would have liked something more than that. I just, I didn't, didn't even think of it. So <laughs> that's something I'm looking at is, okay, where can I, where can I install this that I can reach the water then? How is that going to work? Uh, I planted a fig tree the other day and Gosh, there's been a lot of uh, trial and error of late. Maybe not trial and error. It's been stupid mistakes where it's like, hey, I'll try this and see how this is. And then like the water pump. Crap, why didn't I think of that? Planted the fig tree, right? Don't buy fruit trees from Walmart. <laughs> if you if you go to Walmart and you buy a fruit tree, you go there and it's this like little package. It's like a foot tall. <clears throat> so you're thinking, okay, this thing's going to be like a, like a six inch sapling. I open that thing up to plant that fig tree. And I think I planted a fig tree, but the thing is the size of a quarter. <laughs> so I'm like, what the heck is this? Yeah. So if you're, it's gonna be a gonna few years a, before it's bearing fruit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was just stupid. So I'm gonna go get something a little bigger, a little older. Uh, I know of a nursery in the area, and I'm gonna go get some fruit trees there. I think. Uh, other things, I'm trying to do a little bit more vertical gardening. So I've got like some PVC pipe that I am going to start seeing if I can grow some lettuce and some spinach out of. Uh, my understanding is that PVC actually doesn't leach as many chemicals that your plants can suck up through the roots as uh, a lot of other stuff can. So it, it should be fine. Shouldn't have to worry about that. So I'm going to try that. And those are three of the three of the things going on right now uh, that were at least interesting. <laughs> you know, it's, it's one of the things I was telling somebody the other day, I'm like, man, I'm looking around at the world. Do you ever feel like you want to be like, I need to buy all the preps? And then you look at your wallet and you're like, well, maybe but just a can. bag of beans. <laughs> <laughs> man, I, I think that's the tune that a lot of us sing uh, more often than not, you know, and, and it's important uh, that people are, are getting the farming and gardening ironing out or ironed out now because there's a steep learning curve to all of this, yeah. you know, and, and you can't, I'm telling you, you, you can't ex- expect to have a hundred percent success rate right off the bat. It's just not going to happen. Um, you, you might go, you know, 10 years doing it and you, you're not going to have a hundred percent success rate and you got to work at it. I mean, it, it, it's not really something you can do as a hobby. I, I think, you know, it, it, uh, growing fruit trees and different things. I, I think figs, figs is kind of the, the new fad. I, I've got a lot of friends that are, are planting uh, fig trees. You know, for us, I've got pear and uh, pecans and, um, you know, that, that are old and they've been bearing fruit for a really long time. We've got black walnut, 
um, here that, that, uh, the fruit there, you know, if, if you roast it, it's really, really good for a nice fall treat. Now we've got a lot of other citrus too. Um, how about looking for any, uh, any wild citrus? I, it, I know, um, where you're at, there's, there's, uh, bukus of that. And, um, what, what have you looked for? What have you scoured, uh, when it comes to, to looking for wild, uh, wild edibles? Yeah, so we've got a persimmon tree, and it, persimmons, you, you just got to be real finicky about when you eat them. You got to do it after it gets real cold. And my, from what I've always been told, yeah. it's after the frost. I've yep. tried to eat them before the frost, and it will pucker your mouth like none other. So I eat them after. It's 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 more tolerable. I still don't like them, but they're it's it's tolerable. I've uh, this was a, well, this is what we were talking about earlier. There was a couple years ago that I had picked a bunch of dandelion greens. And this was before I knew that you need to get the young dandelion greens and not the big guys. So I ate a salad of the big yeah. guys and like my tongue was tingling for the rest of the day. I'm like, oh, my word. <laughs> but as far as like out where I'm at, like, yeah, I've most certainly got the the dandelions. I've got acorns. I've got which you can make acorn flour out of. Uh, you just got to leach all the tannins out. It takes about two or three changes of water. Uh, I've got all kinds of spring onions, and this is outside of like my garden. I've got two different gardens and like fruit trees and stuff. Uh, there's a a little a little leaf called sorrel, and it's it's got like a lemony flavor. I've got a lot of that. Yeah. So those are some, some of like the the wild edibles. I've got these little purple violets that are actually edible on my place, and these little fake strawberries that I don't like, but they are edible, but they don't really have a flavor. It's just a weird consistency type thing. That's a that's kind of more of a for me a like a fun little hobby just trying to figure out that kind of stuff. I put more stock in okay, let's let's store food and let's eat what we're growing and let's grow a lot of it. That's more of my my forte. Same here, man. Same here. But uh, yeah, you, you, I knew immediately you were going to bring up persimmons because that's a that that's a big one here. Uh, persimmons damson is another one uh damson plums crab apples uh crab apples are kind of southern virginia northern north carolina that that's another real good uh fall treat and that plant grows extremely well here you get pawpaws where you're at oh yeah oh yeah not as many as um the New River Valley and uh, getting up towards Ohio, uh, northern West Virginia. They they uh, I had a guy in class this weekend. I've had him in class a bunch of times, and um, he is a regular at the Pawpaw Festival that they have in uh, Athens, Ohio. And I thought that it was so cool that that somebody out there they can actually cultivate them up there, which I didn't know that you could do. Anybody that didn't know what a pawpaw is. It is a pear-shaped fruit that tastes like banana cream when when you eat it. And, and you got to eat it when it's brown and mushy. If you try to eat it beforehand, it tastes like a minty banana, like you're chewing yeah. gum and eating a banana. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's got um, it's kind of finicky about where it grows. It likes to grow in in uh, river bottoms, but man, it is good. Uh, man, it is. Uh, it, it is. Oh. It was a prime food source of Lewis and Clark when they went west. It was the pawpaw. Yep. 
and you can find them on riverbanks pretty regularly. I mean, the, the leaf is very, very distinct on the tree. Uh, the vegetation on it is uh, very, very palm shaped and it has a very vibrant green to it. it it's almost like it stands out. And uh, the fruit itself looks a lot like a pear, but it, it's a little bit longer than a pear. You can look them up, um, but but if you find them, if you go on a canoeing trip this fall, uh, the you know any of the rivers in in uh, Western Virginia, West Virginia, Southern Ohio, um, you know the the Appalachians, you will see this just absolute treasure trove of nature. Um, you know between very uh, late August, like that last last two weekends in August is when it really starts. Uh, it begins to mature. And then the first couple weeks of September um, is when you're going to get them. Because if you, you, you have to time it just right, because uh, raccoons, possums, um, you know, wild animals absolutely flock to them. And as soon as it hits the ground, uh, as soon as the gone. fruit hits the ground, it's gone. I mean, the deer are going to eat it. Something's going to get it because it, it's nature's candy. Big old minty banana. Yummy, yummy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Brother, coming in on an hour and a half, man. Any, any last things you want to hand off to the Radio Contra audience? Hey, I got I got three real quick ones. The first one, I think the Balfung UV5R is a good like uh, barter type item. You can pick them up for 25 bucks, which is cheaper than an ounce of silver. So I think that's a good yep. thing. Uh, the second yep. one, I want to see more JC Dodge videos where he's going around in the woods filming himself. Those were cool. Me too. He ain't got any of those in months. I, I like the, the one where he was uh, he did the whole World War Three type thing with China and Russia. That was awesome. I want to see more of that. Yeah. And then the third one is uh if people are interested in checking out my book i've got two books that are out right now i've got the faithful prepper which is a christian's perspective on prepping it's available through prepper press or amazon and in that book i look at okay is is prepping biblical is prepping a lack of faith in god because you'll hear people make that argument and so this book responds to those questions as well as looking at how do we what's the role of the church post disaster how do we stay involved in biblical mandated charity post-disaster. I look at those questions. Uh, the other book I have is more along the lines of Oregon Trail, where you choose how the story unfolds. And I, it's called Zombie Choices, an inter- interactive story. And on that book, it's about 460 pages. I used it to get people to think through difficult moral s- decisions, because there are studies showing that people that think through a difficult situation before they get to it make a faster and a better choice when that time comes than the people that didn't. So if you are faced with a disaster type situation where it's, okay, do I, this is difficult and I don't know what to do. It would kind of help people to, in a fun way, think through some of those situations using zombies to, to do that. And it's got a lot of, I I call it replay value. Every time you read it, it's a different story. So those are uh, two places I can be found. I'm I'm over at the organic prepper. I'm writing over there. uh, So you can see my stuff over there and, and yeah, so that's what's up. Right on. Right on, brother. Well, Aiden Tate, organic prepper, writer, been featured over on Zero Hedge, been featured on AmericanPartisanDiet.org, um, a guy who I have had the unique joy to have in class, as well as <laughs> hang out up at Prepper Camp, man. 
thank you for being on, brother. Hey, thanks for having me, man. It's always a blast. Heck yeah. Folks, whatever it is you're doing today, double down on it because times are absolutely getting serious. And with that said, God bless all of you, and I'll be talking to you again really, really soon. This is NC Scout, out.